Why do we have insights when our mind is quiet? How do insights play a role in our ability to learn, and when do they impact the trajectory of our lives? Welcome to Insight Out, where we explore these questions and dissect how insights influence who we are and ultimately who we become. I interview New York Times bestselling authors and some of the most influential minds of our time to find out what insights have helped to make them who they are. When I realized that the world worked in many different ways, I'm going to choose to create a life that is specifically designed for me. I see infinite capacity to think and create. That's the magic that we all have. You can tap into that any point in your life. You just have to decide to do it. And as a leader, you have to be a transition figure. As Dr. Covey said, be a light, not a judge. Be a model, not a critic. If you're like me, constantly working to design a life that will allow you to reach your fullest potential so that you can leave your mark on this planet, then you're in the right place. I'm glad to have you on this journey and hope you enjoy this episode of Inside Out. Dr. Joe Perez, welcome to Inside Out. Hello, Billy. Thank you so much, sir. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you today. Yeah, the honor is mine, my friend, and I'm glad that we're able to do this. I thoroughly enjoyed our first conversation that lasted, I want to say, at least an hour and a half, maybe even two hours. I think it was going to be a a 30-minute meeting, and boy, I just walked away feeling like I was walking on the clouds, and you have such a, a gift for conversation and dialogue and saying things that have weight and meaning and depth. And so I want to start with, you have at your core a teacher's heart. You've been a teacher for a long time and both professionally and on stage speaking as a form of education and teaching. And so my question to you is this, where does that passion come from? Oh, wow. So deep within, I've always had a desire to communicate to people. I see myself as meeting a need. Someone else has a need for knowledge. Someone else has a need for encouragement. Someone else has a need for whatever type of information that they're looking for. If they have something and I've got something and I've got the means to share it, I'm going to share it and I'm going to do so with passion. I'm going to do so with essentially going all out, you know, giving it everything I've got, you know, because if I have a passion about a particular topic, whatever it is, part of my job is to ignite that same passion within the heart of the other individual that I'm talking to, whether it's in person or on a screen, on a stage, wherever I happen to be. And 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 that's been true for, for a very long time. You know, I mean, the salespeople know they've got goods that they want to get rid of. <laughs> they sell their goods or they sell their services. In my case, it's it's information, it's knowledge, it's encouragement. It's a thing that I've always been compelled to share with other people, to enhance their knowledge, uh, increase their awareness, or get them into a better place than what they were before I walked into the room. Mm, yeah, and it's a powerful, fulfilling endeavor when you could walk away and you know you've imparted some knowledge and wisdom that they can take action on. I think that's really, really Uh, just a gratifying at a heart level to be able to do that. I'm going to quote somebody that you often quote, and that's Henry Ford. He says, the only thing worse than training employees and having them leave is not training them and having them stay. Yep. I want to talk about why that quote is so important to you. And more specifically, you talk a lot about coaching, teaching, and mentoring. I'm always curious about when somebody has 
a differing opinion than maybe a commonly held belief. And I'm wondering if you could think of any commonly held beliefs as it relates to training, coaching, and mentoring that you might have a differing viewpoint. Sure. One of the things that that's important to me in developing this, uh, it, it's part of what I shared with the SHRM group, that's the Society for Human Resource Management, several months ago in a conference where I spoke, talked with them about the madness behind the method, <laughs> comparing and contrasting those teaching, coaching, and mentoring. And the commonly, I guess one commonly held idiosyncrasy that you might say that someone believes that a teacher is only about imparting information. And it's more than, than just that. It's having a heart for the people that you're talking to. It's not only imparting information and knowing the material that they're going to share, but also being aware of the people to whom they're sharing it and being aware of where the person is, whether it's their stage in life, whether it's uh, the hierarchy within an organization, the age that they're at. You know, obviously, uh, it doesn't take too much of a brain to know that you're not going to teach science to a fifth grader in the same way you would junior in college or something, right? The same thing goes for when you're dealing with individuals, you know, in, in reading what uh, their body language and what they're trying to tell you when they're not even saying anything, you know, and it'll perhaps alter the approach that, uh, that, that you're going to take. All that comes into one who would consider himself or herself to be a teacher. It's not just the giving out of facts. I, I suppose that's one misconception that folks may have. And what about that quote? Why do you like that quote? And why is it something that's so important to you and something that you highlight? Sure. And many individuals, they feel that if they spend too much time on their employees, if they get them to a place where they are very well prepared, then their desire is going to be to go somewhere else you know, that they're throwing their money away by providing training. And yet at the same time, what happens is people that aren't given the tools of the trade that they need insofar as their knowledge is concerned, then <laughs> it's going to be a whole lot worse for the company and having a bunch of people that are that are incompetent in the tasks that they've been assigned. You know, you, you put a carpenter or some other type of craftsman into a job situation on a task, right? Mm. And as their boss... They might be an apprentice, maybe not a craftsman is not a good way to say it, but an apprentice that's on a job who has not yet been able to buy all the tools that they need. And yet they're given a task and there's no saw, there's no hammer, there's no, you know, they don't have the tools that they need in order to do the job that they've been assigned to do. And so part of it is helping the person to improve upon themselves so that they can be more effective and efficient in uh, whatever area of expertise that, that they're wanting to excel in order to further the mission, vision, and goals of your organization. Mm, yeah. I mean, I love that perspective. And I think the important takeaway is that you can't be afraid of investing in your people. They're exactly they right. going to be the ones that help to accelerate, as you said, the mission and the purpose behind the company. 
part of that also comes back to you're setting them up to be innovators. And I know mm-hmm. one of the things that you believe is that if you're not innovating, then you're stagnating. And so why is that something that you feel so passionately about? And how do we make sure that we keep innovating? If you're not moving forwards, you're moving backwards. I mean, especially when your progress to get to another level in your business is uphill. Anytime when the grade is uphill, if you're not moving, you're not you're not standing still either. You're actually losing ground. That's just the way the thing called gravity works, right? (laughs) So I always want to be moving forward. I always want to be pushing ahead. I don't want to be satisfied with the status quo. In one of the conference, well, several of the conferences where I've spoken, uh, one of the things that, that I that I bring out is is a quote that uh, philosopher Machiavelli has often been quoted as saying. Actually, I don't even think he he really did say. He's often quoted as saying this. I'm not interested in preserving the status quo. I want to overthrow it. Mm. <laughs> you know, some people say that uh, it was actually Newt Gingrich that uh, coined the term. Whoever it was that said it first, I don't even know why Machiavelli is quoted as saying. I, maybe it sounds like something Machiavelli or Newt. It's like Machiavelli or Newt. I mean, that's a- <laughs> yeah, right. Newt or, or Machiavelli. You know, it's like what kind of a choice is that, right? <laughs> yeah. So, whoever said it, you know, the, the, I, I believe the sentiment is valid. Tommy Lasorda once said, and this I do know because he's there's a recording of him saying it. So it's it's not just a, I suppose, maybe, or, you know, perhaps he said it or whatever. There are three types of baseball players in this world. Those who make things happen, those who watch things happen, and those who wonder what happens, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, the innovator, the one who facilitates change is the one who is going to push forward, the one who wants to, quote, make things happen. Whereas the one who is not an innovator, right, who instead of facilitates innovation will tend to frustrate innovation, that's the person who's going to stand around and watch things happen or sit back and let them happen to them and wonder, well, what in the world's going on? You know, they didn't take the reins and they didn't foresee the warning signs, you know, when they're sitting on their laurels. They may have had past successes in their company and uh, they don't maintain that forward thinking. Someone else is going to overtake them in, in the race to build a better XYZ, whatever it is that they're building, whatever service they're providing, whatever product that they're selling, whatever it is that they're doing. Someone else will find a way to do it better if they're not forward thinking and ready to meet the needs of the customers that, that they've come to enjoy. Mm, powerful, man. And I want to talk about this concept of change. Do you say change is inexorable. I totally believe this to be the case. Why is it important that we remember this? Because I I do want to dive deep on this topic of change. You talked about status quo. And I think when we think about change, people are so rigid and they're so resistant to change. Yet we know change is inevitable. Change is constantly happening. That's exactly right. Why should we embrace change as opposed to be rigid and kind of push change away? Sure. Well, Greek philosopher Heraclitus, 6th century, uh, from the 6th century BC, he said the only thing that's constant in life is change, (laughs) right? You can't stop change any more than you can stop the earth from rotating, all right? Change is here to stay, okay? Uh, Even uh, there was a man who once said, I believe that there is a world market for maybe five computers. Believe it or not, 
Thomas Watson said that, <laughs> Mr. IBM himself. Okay, wow. and we see how that uh, you know how that prediction fell flat on its face, right? You know, back then in a in a in a, in a world full of room sized computers and 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 vacuum tubes, who would have who would have dreamed that the information technology explosion would have such a dramatic impact on our society, even on people who don't own a computer for themselves. And, and that's just one industry. OK, you know, uh, people say that uh, I've heard it said that if the automobile industry went the way of the IT, the tech industry, specifically microprocessors and semiconductors and so on and so forth, uh, <laughs> we would all be driving Maseratis that cost five hundred dollars, went zero to 60 in 10 seconds uh, in two seconds flat and got 800 miles to the gallon. Right. You know, <laughs> I mean, really, uh, Murphy's law or not Murphy's law. That's anything can, that can go wrong. Will Moore's law is uh, every couple of years, you, the the number of microprocessors that you can cram onto a little bitty space will tend to double. I, I forget what the exact rule is, but we find that to be true. So if it has taken the uh, the IT world by storm and has caused uh, incalculable benefits to pretty much every facet of industry and perhaps even of society, then you got to get on the bandwagon. That's the whole thing about change. It's tomorrow. It's not going to be January. Well, right today that we're, we're recording this is, you know, we're near the end of January and, you know, in a few days, it's not going to be January anymore. Right. In a few months, it's not going to be 2021 anymore. It's going to be 2022 and so on. And so, so, you know, you, you can't stop change. You can't stop the earth from rotating and either you you get on board and stay on the cutting edge and anticipate the things that are going to happen. That'll drive your business. Uh, that'll drive your development strategy. That'll drive your life for that matter. Either get on board and get with it or it's going to pass you by and, you, you know, you won't be able to to adapt. It's all about adaptation. It's all about pivoting, you know, Um as the Borg used to say, resistance is futile, right? <laughs> you, know, so you can't. Uh, those, those who resist are the ones who are going to be the antagonists to change rather than being catalysts for change, as I talk about in one of my talks. Well, the other thing you say is you say change is inspiring. And it is. Yeah. And it, it's inspiring because of what you just said. You said those who anticipate and I think anticipation is a really, really key word and key thing Absolutely. to think about because if you are anticipating, and and in another in another way of putting it, if you are expecting change and you right. are expecting change because you know it's going to happen, you're going to be in prime position to anticipate what that change will be sure. and how you can pivot. In other words, you use this pivot, how you could pivot as an organization, as a business, as a brand, or whatever it is that you're doing. Uh, you quote the, you you also cite this quote which is change is is as inexorable as time yet nothing meets with meets more, with more resistance. resistance yes I mean, yeah why it's so crazy why do we resist change see i, I think uh, part of it is we have our own little fa fear of failure okay we're we're afraid that if we venture out we're not going to succeed. We feel that you don't know what's going to happen you know it's fear of the unknown and fear of loss because of the unknown, you know, we uh, we tend to to stay rigid, okay. And rather than being rigid, I I need to learn to be fluid, like water approaching an outcropping of rock. 
right? See, if I'm rigid and inflexible in the face of change, forgetting that changes sometimes are, we're subject to changes that are sometimes of our own making, but other times they're due to circumstances beyond our control. If I'm rigid in the face of change and uh, I'm inflexible, then I am like a piece of driftwood approaching an outcropping of rock and I get dashed to pieces. Whereas if I'm flexible with change, okay, and, and keeping the inevitability and inexorability of change, then I'll be like water flowing around that outcropping of rock and, and more, more prepared to deal with the conflict and the stress that change can often bring. And I'll come out on the other side instead of getting smashed against the rocks, you know. I'm glad you brought up the word stress because stress, you highlight this, and I really love this. Stress can be acute or it could be chronic. And yes. so I think the reality is stress will happen, but how we handle that stress and the way in which that stress impacts us will be directly determined by whether it's an acute amount of stress or whether it's chronic stress that's constantly in our life. Can you talk a little bit about those concepts? That's exactly right. Acute stress is something that you can't um, you can't really avoid acute stress from time to time. OK, it's part of our body's fight or flight mechanism. You know, the hormones are, are pumping and the uh, and the the uh, adrenaline is flowing and, and so forth. And we are conditioned to either put up resistance or run away from the issue, you know, and somehow that focuses our thinking into looking for innovative ways to alleviate the stress, okay? And then afterwards, calm back down, the hormone levels and the adrenal levels and so forth get back down to normal and we're okay. But yet this constant chronic stress, okay, well, what happens is you keep going from fight or flight to relax, fight or flight, relax, fight or flight, relax. And unfortunately, repeated cycles of this uh, can lead to some serious, uh, serious physiological problems because we get to the point where we're conditioned to respond with that fight or flight instinct mm -hmm. more and more often to, yeah, increasingly more often stimuli to get to that point and perhaps less and less, you know, it takes less and less to get us riled up as it were. And so, you know, we get we, we can't get into any any rhythm because of it. Mm, so what do we do? I mean, how do we avoid having the chronic type of stress where it's it's ongoing and repeated and, and kind of in perpetuity? What, what's, yeah. what's the best way? What's the best way to handle that? Right. So it's important to we did this before and, and I do this before I speak. You know, it, it's to breathe. <laughs> OK. And focus, focus on the positive. All right. Rather than uh, uh, focus on, okay, a stressful situation typically is something that I've lost that I should not have lost or something that I'm about to lose. All right. If I focus on the positive, focus on what I already have rather mm. than what I perceive that I may be losing. If I focus on the fact that this is a temporary thing, you know, uh, that this is not going to to last forever. You know, I like quotes, right? Uh, supposedly, um, uh, what's his name? Gosh, I can't think now. <laughs> Winston Churchill. Yeah. How can I not think of him? 
Winston Churchill has been quoted as saying, success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It is the courage to continue that counts. Mm-hmm. All right. And now, again, there's debate as to whether or not he really said it. He probably maybe not. I don't know. But uh, the sentiment, again, with that is, is true. OK, is not only focusing on the positive, but focusing on the fact that this is not a permanent thing. You know, neither is my success. The life is like going through peaks and valleys. You know, there are going to be good times. There are going to be bad times. There are going to be stressful situations that take us to the brink, that test us to the very, almost to the point of breaking. When in reality, I believe that uh, those stressful situations handled properly can be used as learning experiences. You know, you gain certain insights by, okay, this worked this time, this didn't work. Stop trying the things that don't work and go back to the things that do work. An added dimension to that is for those that believe in God and believe in the power of prayer. Uh, that's another thing is sometimes, you know, you're faced with a situation, a stressful situation that's greater than what you yourself and your own strength and power can can cope with. And again, I'm not I'm not going to try to offend anyone who doesn't believe in God. I don't mean to, you know, to, to say it like that. But in, in my case, because I believe in the power of God and the fact that he is interested in my life, then appealing to him for help is is a thing that that uh, that for me works more than any psychological platitude that I may come up with in a fancy speech or whatever. But for folks, you know, in any situation, whether you believe in a supreme being or not, it's just a matter of recognizing that, as supposedly Winston Churchill said, if he did or not, uh, that success is not final. Failure is not fatal. It's the courage to continue that counts and draw upon that courage to continue knowing that there's you know, it's not going to last forever. You'll get around on the other side and you'll be better because of it. Pain is an incredible teacher. One. Two, if we really look at the opportunities that we will be afforded when a challenge faces us, we can look at the, as you said, the positive side. It's very easy to get negative. It's very easy to go down a path where we feel bad for whatever it is that's happening to us. As you said, it could be loss. It could be something else. I think in all cases, there is some thing that will happen as a result of that new chapter of your life starting. So I think you just have to have the faith that it happened for probably a reason and looking at the way in which it will teach you and guide you for the next chapter of your life. Absolutely. I want to talk about a gift that you have And one of those gifts is teaching people how to make data actionable, which I'm really fascinated by this because let's face it, we live in a very much in a data-driven world because there are so many numbers and figures and facts being thrown around. And it could be any business, anything that people are testing and tinkering with and seeing what's working and what's not working. And then They always go back to the data. But the problem is how you interpret that data, how you read that data, and most importantly, how you present that data to other people who are conceivably there to help you with with whatever it is you're doing. It matters. It matters how you do that. So what strategies do you advise for someone making data more actionable? Sure. One of the things that I that I like to look at 
it's important to pay attention to visual cues, okay? To know what works and what doesn't work, okay? See, the human mind, together with the human eye, okay, cannot perceive minute differences across multiple dimensions simultaneously, which is why you don't ever want to put two pie charts side by side. Okay, it's it's understanding a little bit about basic neuroscience and, and the way the way our eyesight works. Things like uh, avoiding chart junk. Okay, <laughs> you know uh, Edward Tufte quoted um, uh, coined that term. You know anything essentially anything in a chart that represents that doesn't represent data is not only harmful but it's also un- unnecessary. Okay. Mm-hmm to be concerned about transparency with the data, okay? Transparency, okay, it starts with a story. I mean, how else to make sense of an unintelligible mass of numbers unless you realize that you can use those numbers to tell a story? How else, you know, put it into the story. That's the whole point of effective data storytelling. It's telling a story with data, data visualization, you know, for people to understand their data, when they're presenting it to, say, upper level management or whatever, you know, it helps them to take ownership. And by extension, it facilitates their ability to explain or to justify whatever course of action that they're taking because of the data. Why? Because they got the right insight. Okay. Correct, honest decisions and correct conclusions can only come from correct, unadulterated, unmanipulated data. So don't manipulate it. Let it let it stand for themselves, for, for itself, I should say, or themselves. I guess data is technically, technically data is plural because datum, D-A-T-U-M is singular. So data is plural, right? Uh, so they, you know, we use the singular, whatever. That's another, that's another discussion for another, <laughs> for, for another time. You know, it's important to understand that your, your business is going to trust the numbers. All right. And when they learn to trust the numbers and they have proven trustworthy, then you do have a solid foundation for making the best decisions and subsequently to grow. All right. Trust is a funny thing. All right. Mm. It's somewhat difficult to build very easy to lose, but nearly impossible to regain after you've lost it, Mm -hmm. all right? (laughs) Starting off with transparency, knowing what works, knowing what doesn't work, following best practices, David McCandless. Oh my gosh, the guy's guy's a genius. He said in a 2010 talk that sight by far has the highest bandwidth of any of the five senses, and that 80% of the information we take in is by eye. Now, more recent research since then has proven that to be more like 90%. But anyway, I highly recommend one of his websites. I think it's called a, a Beautiful Insight or something like that. I can, I'll, I'll look it up uh, a little bit later and, and uh, you, can, you can post it. But, uh, but anyway, he talks about four major elements, information, story, goal, and form. All right. You've, you've got to have those things. Information, you know, what is it that you derive from the data? Story, how can you string it together into a narrative? Goal, what is it that you're trying to do? And form, do you make it visually compelling? You've got to have all of those in order to have effective data storytelling. And in doing so, the actionable part of data 
is where you get to the point that the people who are making the decisions gain the insight they need from the data that's being presented. As I've often said, data is not actionable unless it helps you to do three things. It has to help you to make a decision, answer a question, or solve a problem. At least one, if not more, of those three things. And that way, decision makers gain the insight they make the right decision based on the input that they've been given, and they end up going from being data illiterate to being data driven. You know, they, they might go with their gut to decide what they're going to do, but that gut has got to be informed by actionable data. It has to be informed by correct data. It has to be informed by data that has been presented in a visually compelling way, but at the same time in a factually accurate way. Those two things have to go hand in hand. You know, it's like a, a blend of art and science. It is. That's exactly what it is. It is the best blending of art and science. Uh, Spencer Sobzak, once, uh, he's, a, he's a data visualization guru. I love the guy. Used some quotes from him as well. You know, a data visualization, he said, is the blending of art and science. Our data visualizations are the most powerful when they find that balance, the balance between art and science. Wow, so powerful, man. And you know, the credibility piece is so, so important because if, you, if you're manipulating people through your data, they won't forget that. And to your point, once that trust is lost, very difficult to gain. And so let's talk a little bit about, okay, so now we know how to present the data in a way that's actionable. Now I want to dive into this idea, and this is another area of specialty for you, is process improvement and efficiency and and basically running things in a way that's optimized. The reality is most people lack the skill, ability, or awareness to be able to run their operation smoothly and effectively and efficiently. Why do people miss the mark? And what is what are some of the common pitfalls that you see? And then how do you course correct them? Those are good questions. <laughs> I should have written that down. No. Um, so I see uh, a lot of the pitfalls come from lack of preparation, okay? They think they know what they're doing, but they haven't taken the time to scope out the landscape. They haven't taken the time to take all their factors into consideration, okay? What are their employees doing? What is this particular line doing? What is, if they're in retail, okay, they, they need to look at... Uh, uh, they need to look at supply. They need to look at manufacturing. They need to look at distribution. They need to look at sales. Uh, they need to look at fulfillment. They need to look at customer satisfaction, the data that they get from each of those separate silos, as it were, is extremely important. And, and that's part of the problem is when those separate entities are seen as silos, okay, operating independently of each other, when something comes in that's slightly different from the norm, then it's going to upset the apple cart. And they're not going to get any progress. They're not going to get things done. So uh, one of the things that uh, effective leadership can do to make things more efficient would be to have a situational awareness of each of those silos. And when you have these silos is get them to talk to each other, uh, mm -hmm. is be aware of what each component is is doing because i'm i'm convinced that components left to themselves are going to find the path of least resistance all right and quite often to be more efficient you have to get more resistance and that's pretty that seems counterintuitive because when you're talking about a wheel rolling 
down a hill. Well, that's not a good example. Uh, Let's talk so that there's no gravity here, you know, on a level thing, right? You've got a wheel and the more resistance, the more friction, the less the less the efficiency there is in in that particular rolling wheel. Well, I see the the cogs of a um, uh, of a business, the different areas, you know, that I that I mentioned, the manufacturing, mm-hmm. the distribution, the sales, the customer satisfaction, the you know, the technical support throughout the glue, the tech right. support that's the glue that holds it all together. Look for the friction. Look for the ways that they can mesh together so that each one can add its contribution to the other. Like when you're putting gears together, you know, you you have the the teeth meshing together in, in several different levels and it brings a higher level of torque to your machine. OK, in essence, you get a higher level of torque from all these different levels, the individuals in the different silos in the business that are cooperating with each other. When you have someone that is, you know, that has the 10,000 foot view looking from up above and 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 make sure that they at least have that situational awareness of what each component is doing, then you can start working on each individual one of those components. And then how do they come together more efficiently? Again, it's all a matter of knowing what they're doing, communicating with each other, and and finding that point where you can uh, facilitate the synergies between them. Mm. Well, having worked for large corporations and being intimately involved in understanding how the different, as you said, the silos work, I've seen siloed specifically. They are they are in silos working on yeah. their own thing, but there's the lack of communication. So, right. w- what would be a practical tip for a business owner who's listening or somebody who's involved in a corporate situation? How can we break down those silos that exist, break down the walls, and have the more the communication so that there is more understanding of what each other's doing and and you know more more harmony between the organizations and parts of the organization. So I think a couple of things is, first of all, find the common ground. What company do you work for? I I work for uh, Salibi Perez Incorporated. All right. Who do you work for? I also work for Salibi Perez Incorporated. All right. Do you work for the manufacturing department? Well, yeah, but who does that manufacturing department roll up into? So, you know, for one, get them. All right. They're all working for the same company. The question, do you want this company to succeed? Yes or no? Yes. All right. Not because you care about uh, the owner getting an extra $3 million in his or her pocket, but because you know if the company succeeds, you ultimately will succeed. All right. Um, the company's making money, then therefore they have money to pay you and you, you get to keep your job and you might even get a raise, whatever. All right. So, you you know, you ultimately you want the company to succeed and Knowing that the company can't succeed without these individual parts working together, then that's one impetus, one form of motivation in knowing that you all share a common goal, the success of the organization. You share a common competition, you know, and that is not each other in the departments competing for limited funds, which that may be the case. You know, there's only so much budget that can be allocated to each of the the different departments, but it's the other company that's manufacturing the same thing or providing the same service or whatever, whatever the case might be. You not only have a common goal, a common cause, you have a common competitor. They're all competing against the same thing. You also know that 
uh, failure is is not an option. You want to keep your job. You want to do things in a more efficient manner. So it's in your own best interest to succeed. So you try to find uh, in talking with the different people, perhaps talking first to them separately, see what their individual interests are. See what they want to get out of it. See what are the things that will benefit them in their department, and then pull those items together. And perhaps in speaking to them all at the same time, you can say, you know, all of you guys cited, these are the top three items that every single one of you cited as being their goal. And you may have to restate it. You may have to find another way of expressing it, but distill it down to the common denominator. And if people know that they're pulling for the same thing, they'll tend to want to go in the same direction, especially if they see that there's something something in it for them. Yeah, I mean, great advice. And I, as you're talking, I'm thinking, wow, what a, what a great way to also create collaboration between the groups. Because imagine if you work with group, maybe there's a, you have, if you find that common ground, maybe there's a common goal or even initiative that you both didn't realize that you had in common until you have that conversation. And then maybe you could pull resources, you could work on them together. And when you work on them together, that only grows the relationship. It grows the channel of communication that exists, it, it expands it and makes it even stronger than it was before. I want to shift gears and I want to, I'm super curious about your public speaking. When we met, I was like, man, this guy's got the golden voice. <laughs> Everything he says sounds so beautiful. You're very kind. <laughs> and you've done so well with public speaking, traveling all over the world at giving so many different speak different on different topics and you have glowing i looked at all the reviews that you have glowing reviews from people that have been in the audience or that are who have hired you so i want to first talk about these four essential e's of dynamic speaking and i want to talk about those and then i want to go into a little bit more of how you prep and what your process is so what are those essential e's in of dynamic speaking I love it. Thank you for for bringing that up. I'm convinced, like, kind of alluded to this a little bit, uh, a little bit earlier on. You know that it's important for us to present things with passion. All right, and in doing so, you're going to rise above the mundane. Okay, you're you're not going to you're not going to be like the status quo, talking about you know blowing away the stat. You know, it all kind of it all comes together into one place, right? In presenting with passion, I want to make sure that people are enhanced. All right. They want to be, I want them to be better than what they were before they came in. Okay. I want them to be enriched. That is to say, they have a clearer picture of what they're going to do when they go home after they've, after they've listened to whatever it is that I, that I have to say. I want them to be educated that whatever technical skill or knowledge that they need to gain, that they will have gained. I want them to be empowered. That is to say, okay, you now have a tool that you yourself can use and apply and figure the next problem out on your own. It's like, I give you a fish, you're going to eat for today. I show you how to fish, then you can eat for the rest of your life. Well, unless you don't like fish and then the illustration kind of breaks <laughs> down, but you know, I, yeah. And then lastly, the fifth E, entertain. Yeah, education is important because it speaks to the mind, but entertainment is important because it speaks to the soul. Okay. <laughs> you know, you want, and I've saved that one for the last because it is, in my opinion, the least, but I'd rather someone be enhanced, enriched, and educated and empowered 
I would rather if I had to give up one of them, I'd give up entertainment. But you got to put that in here because you got to make you want to make it fun. All right. <laughs> you know, you you want people to get some sort of diversion from the everyday life. OK, you want people to be given a memorable experience when they're listening to a presentation. You know, you don't want them to be subjected to this death by PowerPoint. <laughs> Not on my watch. OK, <laughs> you know, I, I want them to feel to have some sort of positive experience. OK, uh, I, I want them to 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 ask for more. OK, I want them to be impacted in a, in a positive way. And sometimes, you know, injecting a little bit of humor here and there, not making, you know, I'm not a stand-up comedian, as you can obviously tell, by because that's not my job. If it was the only thing was to entertain, then yeah, maybe I would be a, a stand-up comedian, or maybe I, I, I'd sing or play the piano as I do, or, or whatever. Yeah, that can be entertaining, but I want them to come out with a positive experience, okay, uh, and, and know that, you know, I'm better off now. I can go back, I can apply what I've learned, and I can excel in the whatever functional area that I'm seeking to be a better whatever it is that I'm that I'm working on. Yeah, man. I mean, I love your approach and the thoughtfulness that you put into how you want them to embrace what you're sharing and what they walk away with from a, an empowerment and enrichment. Yeah. And being entertained, that's something that's near and dear to my heart as a trainer. I, I think of it as entertainment, right? Like we're training there you go. and we're entertaining at the same time. What's your prep like? What do you do to prepare? I, obviously, you have some topics that you speak on regularly. So I mm. imagine the, the more you do those, the better you get. I'm sure the practice goes into, but like how much yeah. are you practicing? If you have a new presentation, how many times do you practice? How much do you practice? Before we talked today, you had a mint in your mouth to kind of get your, your vo vocal cords right. lubricated. <laughs> I'm sure there's a lot that goes yeah. into the prep, and I'm always fascinated by people like yourself who have excelled at something, what they do that we don't see, the work that goes in before you hit the stage. It's like looking at an iceberg, right? You only see the 10% up at the top. That's the 30, 45, maybe 55 minutes that you get to speak. You don't see the 90% underneath it of you know all the all the time that you spent in in preparing. So I have a new topic. All right. Uh, the, the first thing that I want to do is to come up with a theme for the topic. OK, so I know what I'm speaking on. I'm speaking on emotional intelligence, let's say, or I'm speaking on the neuroscience of a data visualization. You know, uh, I'm making this up because I haven't really spoken on those specific you know, things. But let's just say, all right, the first thing I want to do is to, to carry a theme. So am I by theme? I mean, what? Am I, what is the one, if I could boil it down into one sentence, what is it that I want to say? What do I want to convey to the folks? All right. It, actually, even before I do that, of course, I, by this time, I will have already known who is it that I'm going to talk to? What is the topic of the conference? You know, who, who is the target audience? Because that will put me in the frame of mind of knowing exactly my line of thinking in, in preparing. I want to come up with, say, a catchy opening stat that proves the hypothesis or that seems to prove the hypothesis that I have. For instance, in it, when I do the uh, death by PowerPoint, come up with something like a statistic. Um, a UCLA study says that 30% of the 30-something percent of your message is going to come by the way you, you talk. 57% of it comes from your nonverbal, you know, your body language. And only the remaining 7% comes from the actual 
content of what you give, you know, the PowerPoint or the the keynote or the, you know, whatever software package, Camtasia, whatever that you use. Okay. And so that type of thing, or when I talk about the actionable data and, uh, or when I throw out a Machiavelli quote, you know, or a, a, a Churchill quote or a Henry Ford or whatever, you know, something that'll get the attention of the people. All right, I get that down. Then I start looking at my outline. I start thinking, okay, so what are uh, four or five, no more than four or five major points, sometimes only three, three, four or five typically, are major points that will support the theme that I'm trying to give and then a conclusion at the end. So then with that point, the points in between, I start adding the the meat to the skeleton, as, as it were. Uh, I like to use alliteration. I like to use rhyming words. Uh, I like to use things that will make it easy for people to remember, like, for instance, those those E's that I was telling you about. Facilitating innovation. I talk about a three-pronged approach, recognize, resolve, and respond, for example. Uh, and you brought it up earlier. Change is inevitable, inexorable, and inspiring. You know, I try to think of ways that I can present it or, or illustrate the point, uh, or not excuse me, articulate the point, so that it'll make make it easier for my listeners or viewers uh, to remember what I've said. Okay, so once the skeleton is on there, I figure out the outline. I've got my topic, I got my theme, and I've got my general flow. Then I say, okay, what illustrations can I use to make it practical? Okay. Mm -hmm. Illustrations to make it practical, examples to make it applicable. Okay. Mm -hmm. I want it to be both practical and applicable. Okay. Illustrations, examples, stats, stats to make it intellectually believable or to the believability, right? The, of the thing that I'm, that I'm presenting. So then, you know, I do a lot of research on a great deal of research on the Internet to find statistics, to find examples, to find case studies. And then I weave all that into my actual narrative. And, yeah, I do actually write out because I can also turn turn things into articles. You know, I've been asked to write articles for a, for a major business magazine, which I'm really excited about that. I get to start that in March. Yeah, I'll look it up on my LinkedIn profile. We'll talk about that later. Anyway, that's shameless plug. I'll shut up. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I do write it out because knowing that eventually I may use some of this perhaps in a web article or I may use it in, you know, someday write a book. I haven't done that yet. Uh, someone listening to this, watching this broadcast in uh, 2026. Oh, yeah, I remember that. I just bought one of his books. So I don't know. But anyway, I do write it out and, and I do look through it and I do read through it and I do start practicing. And, you know, I look in the mirror. I uh, I film myself on my webcam, you know, uh, practicing looking into the camera. I'll use crib notes. I'll use uh, cue cards where I've got just the main points recognized and perhaps memorized some of the illustrations. And then I don't look at my notes. Uh, I may have the cue cards that I'll refer to from time to time. No more than one card per slide. Uh, I put them like a uh, punch a little hole in the in the corner and uh, stick them on a key ring so that uh, and I got I've gotten pretty good at this where I can flip through each of the cards. I, I wish I, I'm looking around. I don't I don't have any of them with me, but I got pretty good. The, the movement, the flicking of the thumb where, you know, you just glance down. You just momentarily glance down or as you're gesturing with your hand, bring the card in front of your eyes so you can see what it says, you know, and then you look away. So it doesn't look like you're looking at your notes. I mean. 
Now, now you're going to start looking for that in my videos. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> a, little, a few little tricks of the trade. Yeah. And then I just, uh, um, after I've filmed myself, I might record myself uh, doing it. I'll have it for a couple of days. I may have it playing on a continuous loop while I'm trying to go to sleep. And believe it or not, that does get it into my in, into my head a little bit more. And then it's just a matter of how many times do I get to share that topic with um, with an audience. And, and and even though there's there's one topic in particular, the, the data actionable topic uh, that I've Oh, good heavens. That one's been presented maybe 20, maybe 20 times. Each time I present it, it's it's different. It's not exactly the same. I may change some of the illustrations. I may change some of the examples. You know, I may change. I'll even change the jokes. I'll even come up with try to come up always a good tip for speakers. If you're speaking at a particular um, say, if it's in a, a particular country or particular area of the country, try to find an illustration or, a, or an example that's local to the area where you're speaking. Now, people are going to be coming from all over the world. That's probably a little bit less of an issue. But if it is known that you are speaking in Chile, you know, bring up something about the Pan-American Highway. I did. Closing keynote, 8.8, uh, excuse me, opening keynote, 8.8 Computer Security Conference in Concepcion. You know, I brought up the Pan-American Highway. Uh, I brought up a Chilean uh, soccer player, or football, don't say soccer. <laughs> you know, in, uh, I spoke at the DevFest Siberia conference in Novosibirsk. It was virtual, but it, it was a lot of fun. And their uh, audience was all over the world. But um, there was some, you know, it was a pretty goodly Russian population in here, technical people who spoke English. And uh, I brought up the Siberian cedar nut. Okay, uh, you know, there's a there's a joke where I talk about cracking a walnut. Well, I changed it to the Siberian cedar nut. I spoke in Australia and changed it to talk about whatever the nut was that, and I can't remember what it was now. It's been a while. Uh, you know, uh, so you try to use things that are local to the folks to try to relate more. Make sure you don't always say it the same way every time. Vary your approach according to your audience. Getting back to that, knowing your material knowing your audience and making it something that you yourself are passionate about so you can present it in such a way that ignites that same passion within the minds of um, of the people that you're talking to. So yeah, hours, uh, I can't tell you, uh, maybe yeah. 40, 40 or 50 hours maybe in, in, in total preparation time, you know, counting the research and everything else. Yeah. So uh, I do spend a lot of time getting, uh, uh, getting prepared these things so well and but the thing is is it shows right it shows because of what people are saying i've seen videos of you speaking your comfort level familiarity with what you're talking about to your point the passion knowing the audience right no material know your audience and then you could tailor it for that audience here's my question my follow-up question for you uh-huh. how do you layer in story and what is the significance of including story or stories within the tapestry of your presentation. Ooh, I love that. Within the tapestry of the, I love the way you say that. Thank you for bringing that up because it's really important. For me, it ignites the human level of the presentation. Um, for example, I talk about, uh, I talk about how uh, my father came from Cuba uh, to, uh, to come to this country. Uh, I use that in uh, uh, quite often when I'm speaking on facilitating innovation and talking about how people don't like breaking out of their comfort zone. 
And I'll talk about a Cuban man that I knew very well broke out of his comfort zone when he decided to bring his family to America in the late 1950s, leaving a prosperous business and everything else behind in Cuba. And I talk a little bit about that and people are like, oh, this is interesting. And then they find, oh, wait a minute, that's his dad. He's talking about his dad, you know. And so and, and so that that brings a, and it doesn't necessarily have to be about me. It's all about me and I get the big head. No, I mean, you know, a human interest story like that, that um, that will captivate someone's attention because you can relate to stories. It, again, going back to the data storytelling, right, in the same way that when folks that are putting their visualizations together will do so to kind of uh, couch it into a narrative that there are uh, it is a story that there we are made for listening to stories you know uh, around the campfire as uh, as scouts or girl scouts boy scouts right in the bed listening to, to dad or mom read you a story or tell you a story before you go to bed uh, or, or you know whatever the context may be it doesn't matter if you're a kid or you're a grown-up excuse me everybody likes a good story um, you know, especially if it's a true one. Uh, and even the fable, even fables. You know, I tell a story at uh, when I'm speaking at SHRM, uh, the SHRM, Society for Human Resource Management. I tell a story about the difference between how prospects are treated and employees are treated, about a guy who who woke up in hell and he's playing golf. You know, I won't get into it because it's a funny story and I don't want to ruin the, you know, the, the punchline. You know, uh, a story about a, a new HR director that uh, discovers that a guy is slacking off. You know, what is he doing here? What's he going to do? Yeah. And, and, and st stories like that are fictitious, of course, they're like jokes. So if I'm going to tell a joke, it'll be like a story type joke because, you know, you want to string somebody along. You've got the narrative, you got the setup and then you got the punchline. Right. Or if it's not a joke, you again, you get the setup, you get the environment, you, you relate because you think, you know, that's something that I might have done if I were in in that particular situation. And so it, it makes whatever point that you're trying to drive home more relatable mm. to the to the individual who's listening. I love it. I love it. I got two final questions for you. One is, how do you get word out that you speak? I know there's platforms that you use. Wonder if you could mm -hmm. share for the listener who's wanting to sure. up their game and put themselves out there more on the speaker circuit. What are the platforms you're using to gain visibility and exposure to mm -hmm. you as a speaker? Sure. Well, other than LinkedIn, I mean, you, you know, it's LinkedIn has been incredible. Roughly two thirds of the uh, speaking engagements that I that I've gotten so far have been uh, either directly or indirectly through LinkedIn. Probably more than that. Probably close to three fourths. But um, besides LinkedIn, I would say the the two platforms that I highly, highly three actually. One is called Speaker Hub. Even the free uh, account um, is is a good place to showcase your your bio. It's really good about testimonials because verified testimonials get a little check mark next to them, and it's the only one I know of that does that. Um, it uh, it doesn't. It, they have a directory of events, but you have to pay. Uh, the the paid version will will give you that. Um, but uh, its strength lies in the. Uh, uh, displaying of the testimonials that people will have, testimonials and referrals. Free version only allows you to post one video, so you have to pay to be able to do more than that. But it's 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 got its strengths. There's another one called PaperCall. It's PaperCall.io. You can create a speaker profile on that. You can create your um, your talks uh, if you have uh, certain topics that you speak about. 
get your um, uh, your promotional texts, perhaps your uh, your learning outcomes or learning objectives, however you want to call them. Essentially, the takeaways that people will mm-hmm. get. That is a big selling point for conference organizers and others that are looking for speakers. You know, they see the catchy title. Catchy title is always good. Uh, and the nice little promotional blurb about it is is pretty nice, too. But when you go the extra mile and insert some takeaways, that's something that's really important. Paper Call IO is pretty good about that. They also have a directory of events. It's kind of sparse now because of COVID. Nobody's doing events. I mean, they are, but, you know, they're doing uh, the virtual events. But um, I'm hoping that 2021 they'll start back up. But the one that I like the most is Sessionize. I cannot recommend that site highly enough. That's the word session with I-Z-E on the end, spelled exactly the way you think. Look up my page, sessionize.com forward slash Joe dash Perez, and you'll see how I've uh, adapted it somewhat. There's a, a section for your bio. There's a, a section for notes. I use that section to uh, uh, to showcase the, uh, the people who have given testimonials about me. Um, then uh, after that, you list your topics. Uh, there's a place for notes for your topics. That's where I stick my um, learning objectives. Uh, it's a good place for them because there's no other place for them. You know, it's kind of it's not really a hack, but it's a, a, a little tip. Uh, and then it has a place for events. And, and this is really neat because you build your portfolio places where you've spoken or places mm. where you are scheduled to speak. Uh, you go to external and you get to plug in a URL, an event name, a location, a date and a place for notes where you can like put your your topic that you spoke on or something about the event. And so when you when you when it when you put it all together, it's sort of like your own built-in resume, you know, CV or portfolio, whatever you want to call it. And that does not cost you a dime. There is no paid version for it where their business model is, they charge conference organizers. Yeah. Because the, the the cool thing about it is conference organizers who post about their conferences in Sessionize, you can just log into your Sessionize site, pull up one of your topics, plug it into your submittal, uh, adapt it as needed, add some notes about yourself and your events and things like that, and boom, you're done. You know, so uh, it's it's a really wonderful tool. And uh, I, I put it on my signature page whenever I send an email. I also have a, a little a little thing about it in uh, on my LinkedIn profile. And, and I cannot overemphasize. Yeah, LinkedIn. Post on LinkedIn. Connect as people connect with you. You know, engage. Uh, engage with them, support their, like their posts, uh, be gracious when they like your posts. You know, uh, someone writes you a recommendation, you write them a recommendation. Uh, you know, if, if there's something nice, you, can, you know, if they were kind enough to, you know, the least you could do is, is do something for them or, or write them a recommendation first, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, it's, it's, uh, they're just a lot of amazing things that you can, you just, uh, you sometimes have to be creative. Uh, but really, uh, and to join a, um, uh, a speaker, uh, a, a speaker bureau. I've, I've not. I'm with a local startup speaker bureau, but uh, I've not really gone with any major speaker bureau as of yet. And, and it's just amazing through word of mouth, by the grace of God. I don't know. I spoke at 26 different conferences in 2020 on um, in cities, or excuse me, hosted by cities on nine from nine different company, uh, nine different countries. I can't talk today. Nine different countries on five continents. Wow. And I've already, I've already got invitations to speak at 13 conferences in 2021 and we're not even through January. 
<laughs> and, you know, and I'm no famous it. person. It's not like I'm Billy Salibi or something, you know, or, or, or Simon Sinek, right? Or, uh, you know, uh, Bill Gates or, or, you know, Barack Obama or whatever. You know, I'm just me, you know, and I try to be relevant. I try to resonate with the people that I talk with. And, uh, you know, uh, I suppose the testimonials speak for themselves. Somehow they're gluttons for punishment. They want me to come and talk and I'll do, I'll talk, I'll be a ham and I'll, you know, I'll, I'll give them what they want. I'll, I'll leave a hundred, you know, I'll give 120% and uh, leave it all on the stage. And uh, hopefully uh, if they're not better off when they walk, when they walk out of that room than when they were, when they walk in, then I'm just wasting my time. I might as well put the mic down. Mm. Well, I mean, thank you so much for sharing all of that. My, my last question is simply this. Have you always had a golden voice or did, you, <laughs> or did you work at it? I mean, seriously, man, I love your voice. I'm so envious of it. It's just such a soothing and genuine and just has great tonality. I mean, like for somebody that wants to work on their voice, do you have any advice, any suggestions, anything to help them? Well, you see, this is the way I really talk, you know. <laughs> what you hear is just an act. I put it through a voice uh, enhancement software. It works very, very well. No, <laughs> I couldn't resist. Yeah, you know, you're so kind to say that, Dave. Uh, Dave, why did I say Dave? You, you, Billy, <laughs> I'll tell you why I called you Dave. I did the voice narration for a TV commercial that uh, I was manager of computer training. And, and to save money, I did the narration myself. And uh, I was kind of almost overdoing it. And uh, uh, the, the guy's name was Dave. Dave, the producer's name, the TV producer, Dave, he goes, Joe, can you can you try to say that a little bit more? I mean, you have such a nice voice. Can you say that a little bit more naturally? And then uh, <laughs> without skipping a beat, I say, what do you mean, Dave? I talk like this all the time. You know, <laughs> there's me and then there's the caricature of me. OK, I've always talked, I guess. Well, when I turned 12 and uh, I wasn't talking like this, you know, when, when your voice changes. Uh, I don't know. I've always uh, uh I always I get asked to do narrations and stuff. When I was a kid, I uh, would be asked to to narrate school plays and 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 things like that. And it just continued through my college years and into today as well. So, you know, God's been good to me and has blessed me with in, in that in that matter. But I don't know. I it it just came naturally. I guess. Wow, it's that's so cool, man. Well, it it is a gift, and it's been a gift that you've spent the time with me and with the listeners today. I'm so, so grateful. You could find Dr. Joe. His website's drjoeperez.com. He's also on Twitter, on LinkedIn, on Facebook. He's got a YouTube channel. And if you go to Twitter, it's JW Perez with a man on the end. And then LinkedIn, you just look him up. It's uh, JW Perez there. And then with Facebook, it's J.W. Perez Man. You already mentioned you're on Speaker Hub. You're on Session Eyes. Uh, check out his YouTube channel. I've, I've watched every one of your YouTube videos. Each one provides value. Uh, so where else can they find you? Anything else that you want to share that you have an upcoming or anything that would be valuable where people could learn more from you? Sure. If you, well, if you visit my Session Eyes page, you'll see some of the uh, some of the conferences where I will be speaking. The next couple of ones coming up in February, I'm speaking at Data Cated Conference. Uh, yes, like de- not dedicated, but data, <laughs> data cated conference. Right. Play on words there. Right. Yeah. That's going to be on LinkedIn Live. That's going to be amazing. Um, and in March, I'm speaking at the Master Data Marathon 2 in Prague. I don't really get to go to Prague, uh, but Prague will come to me, I guess. But there's uh, uh, 24 hours. Of, I mean, the greats, you know, I get this, the coolest thing. I get to share the stage with Scott Taylor, 
the data whisperer himself, which is really cool. I shared a stage with him uh, when I spoke at uh, the uh, Enterprise Data World last year. I'm speaking at Enterprise Data World again, <laughs> but those are the, the the two big ones coming up that uh, uh, that are the closest now are the uh, the Datacated Conference and the Master Data Marathon Two. And you can get all the details by visiting sessionize.com forward slash Joe Perez and just scroll and uh, click on the link and it'll tell you more information about each event. Joe, thank you so much for imparting so much knowledge, insights and value in terms of how to use your voice to educate, to entertain and most of all, to give to the people who you make an impact on. Thank you so much for being on Inside Out. Thank you, Billy. It was my honor to do so. Thank you for listening to this episode of Inside Out. I hope you took away some valuable insights that will help you in business and in life. If you like this show, the best payment you can give is to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast platform. You can also listen to past episodes and see a breakdown of all the best insights by going to insightoutshow.com. And for the record, there's no greater compliment than sharing this show with your friends on social media. So if there's an insight or lesson that you liked, please share it and tag both me and today's guest. And until next time, remember, your next life-changing breakthrough moment may happen when you least expect it. Insight out.